Everybody, this is Peter Diamandis, and this is our next episode of Exponential Wisdom here with my exponential coach, dear friend, mentor, and co-longevity fan, Dan Sullivan. Dan, a pleasure. Good to chat with you. Yeah, Peter, and a hot topic, which, you know, everybody's suddenly becoming awake on, and that's the issue of privacy. Is there a privacy or isn't there a privacy? It's a massively important question, mm-hmm. and the question is, are we fooling ourselves? So... Maybe we could start there, Dan. Do you think that we do have privacy and will have privacy? I'm curious. Yeah, well, I've been following the Facebook adventures and, you know, Google to a lesser extent, but mostly Facebook, where massive numbers of people have given massive amount of free information about their personal lives. And now they're sort of saying, gee, I didn't know people did that. (laughs) So... The fact that they're shocked meant that they thought they had privacy. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't be shocked if it was revealed that someone was using your personal information. And you said, well, of course, I gave them my personal information. So my feeling is, can I give you an analogy of what's going to happen? It has to do with the blockchain. I think the blockchain is going to come into existence very quickly because of massive public demand. And I'm going to give you an analogy of the railroads in the mid-19th century. In order to get the railroads built across the country as fast as possible, the government, which granted rights for each state, they gave the railroads free real estate on either side of the track. Mm -hmm. In fact, the U.S. railroads never made any money as an industry. They made all their money on the free real estate that they got. Wow. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to use the railroads for Facebook. And Facebook developed because basically the attitude was you can use all this free information on other people to build one of the greatest ad companies in the world. Google, the same thing. Amazon, the same thing. And my feeling is people are going to wake up to the fact that my personal information is my personal property. And I will grant you, Facebook, the right to use my personal property. But if you make money on my personal property, I want you to pay me a little bit for my personal property. So if blockchain can lock in, we talked about this before, individual sovereignty, Mm -hmm. you know, but let's just talk about an individual. And I've got all things that are really interesting to me. And if your prediction is right, people are going to be doing all sorts of very, very interesting things in the future. Digitally, they're going to be doing it from an experience standpoint. And somebody would really, really appreciate knowing information that I'm doing and my experiences, where right now they kind of get that for free. They're not going to get it for free in the future. So my feeling is if you're making money on my personal life, I get a piece of the action. Sure. And I do believe that people will move that way and there'll be companies that will move in that direction as they tokenize their economies and so forth. But let me tee up a couple of things. The question is, do we actually have privacy? Mm -hmm. So let me give you a couple of examples for people to show you how my belief is that we don't and that privacy is very much a myth. I desire privacy. We all desire privacy. So here's a couple, I'll just rattle off a list of things. So first of all, I can walk up and shake your hand grab a couple of skin cells from you, sequence you, and know everything about your genetic past, where your family's from, and also what diseases you have had or are likely to have just from grabbing a few tissue samples from you that you left in the toilet or I 
grabbed from a hair follicle, from your brush, whatever the case may be. That's the first example. The second thing is your cell phone is transmitting information all the time. So first of all, what does it mean? It means that if you're having an affair and your cell phone is identically in the same location as some other woman's cell phone, you know, Verizon or AT&T might actually know that. You mean within two feet yeah, or less? Yeah, if they're on the same bed stand, <laughs> on the same hotel room. And so there's that kind of a, a realization that, you know, oh, look, this cell phone and this cell phone are at the exact same time between midnight and 8 a.m. in the same location. Hmm, what could that possibly mean, right? They've almost merged. <laughs> and then your cell phone is always listening. Mm-hmm. So that when you say, you know, Siri or OK Google or whatever it might be, the reason it can turn on and hear it is because it's always processing and listening. Now, I'm pretty sure that Amazon Echo is not making use of that information, but it could, mm-hmm. or a hacker certainly could hack into and listen to every conversation going on in your office, in your home wherever there is a device that is in listening mode. And all of these digital assistants are always in listening mode because they can't do their job if they're not listening. They may not use the data, but a hacker could use the data. Mm -hmm. The fact is that we are always under observation. There are hundreds of cameras, soon to be millions of cameras following us every day. Cameras in space, cameras in drones, cameras in cars and autonomous cars and augmented reality glasses, so they're imaging everything all the time. And so, again, the numbers I quote is by 2020, 50 billion connected devices, a trillion sensors. By 2030, 100 trillion sensors, imaging, measuring, listening, sensing, everything. So is there privacy? Well, first of all, I think it varies from individual to individual. You know, I had a team member who came from Vienna, and she was so surprised when she went to the United States that in the supermarket checkout, women would tell her their life story, you know, what was <laughs> happening with their marriage. And so my feeling is that part of privacy is whether you keep it to yourself, and it varies from individual. There's many things that I never, ever mention about my life, my past, or anything to anyone. Tell us one of those. Just kidding. (laughs) Well, first of all, in my workshops, I never talk about my political beliefs in my workshops. Because, you know, I use the Michael Jordan rule. They asked Michael Jordan once. He was a born Democrat. His dad was a big Democrat. And yet he's never taken a political position in his public life. And he was on 60 Minutes. They said, you know, you've been criticized. You never take. He says, you know, Republicans buy sneakers, too. (laughs) 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 You know, and Nike's obviously gone to the other side of that strategy. But the thing about it, countries vary. So if you're born in either in the UK or the offshoot of the UK, there's a big deal about privacy and people are not forthcoming about a lot of information about what they do. China, you know, because China is now becoming the digital dictatorship. But if you look at the history of China, its basic DNA is Confucianism. And Confucianism was you were observed They had a big population bigger than anything in the world from a very early time, and they had a system of policing and a system of watchers. And then when the communists 
regime came in, everybody on your block might be someone who is observing you and reporting on you. So there's a different culture, you know, a different historical. So Chinese probably don't bat an eyelash at being observed digitally, and they would legislate against it. You know, we'll see massive legislation in certain parts of the world against the attempt. I mean, Britain is already, the UK and the European Union are already, you know, they're adding another job to every company to comply with their privacy rules. You know, cutting off Facebook, cutting off Google, cutting off Amazon. Dan, do you think that privacy is a rather recent invention for humanity? Yeah, in this sense that very few people lived alone. We have a period within the last hundred years where individuals have their own room in the house. You know, I mean, most people lived communally most of history. They lived in small communities. Yeah, I don't think there was the assumption of privacy a thousand years ago or 10,000 years ago. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard for us to go back there. You know, spies obviously were good at it. For example, I do a podcast series with Dean Jackson, yeah, and we do it on cell phone. And I was really happy for it because it actually gave me a use for my cell phone. And <laughs> we were talking one day about people being sucked. We call it Cloudlandia. You're getting sucked into the digital world. And he was telling stories of people who are just totally addicted. And I says, Dean, I just checked back my minutes for the past 12 months, and you're 90% of my minutes for the last 12 months. (laughs) (laughs) The other 10% are the cable company that rents me the space and Babs, I said. So I'm a single-use digital guy, you know. So I've never done Facebook, never done Twitter. I mean, I have these accounts, and my team members have an official Dan Sullivan So part of it is that I don't like being involved in that activity because I'd rather be involved in having podcasts with you or creating new books or creating everything else. So there's a function of time. But I would say that compared to the general population, I have a very, very small footprint. So I'm off tonight to China. Mm -hmm. I'm taking a, a group of my Abundance 360 Platinum members there for... We're going to be going to Shenzhen, which is an amazing place. It's the place that you go to build anything. It's got every electronic vendor, any motor, any transistor, any display, any sensor is there. And you can prototype something in a week. It's crazy. And then we're going to Shanghai. But I'm going to be there for about eight days with an amazing group. And I think the view is and the expectation is that there is no privacy, mm-hmm. that everything is being monitored, everything is being listened to. And it's so that you can have a society of a billion people where there's no assumption of privacy. Mm-hmm. But again, they already had a vast experience of no privacy. Yeah. I mean, they had that and the society grew up that way. While the question is, do we assume privacy where there really isn't privacy? That's the big question I have. And do you live your life differently? So people ask me, you know, what are you scared about? And are you concerned about lack of privacy? And I say, you know, the countervailing force is that the potential or the lack of privacy allows me to sleep at night, that it's really hard to do evil doing when you can be easily observed, right? I Mm -hmm. say that when you point a camera or spotlight at somebody a dictator, a robber, a poacher, they change the behavior, Yeah. right? One of the foundations I like, the Lindbergh Foundation flies drones over these 
a herd of elephants. And when there's a drone flying overhead, the poachers don't attack yep. because they're being watched. Yep. Yep. So lack of privacy means you you think about what you do. So I have to teach my kids that whatever they do, it's going to be recorded on Facebook or Instagram for the rest of their lives. So that might show up and haunt them you know, later in their lives. Yeah. Well, I can test to you that there's been a shift enormously, which I think this is kind of a replacement of something that disappeared. And that was the belief in God over the last hundred years. And there's a book, a terrific book called Big Gods, and it tracks people who have big gods where you, <laughs> you were personally accountable, like Christianity, Judaism, and other, and you were personally accountable and you internalize an accountability that even when you couldn't be seen by legal authorities or political authorities, you still acted morally and ethically because you were observed by the big guy. Yeah. Well, that's disappeared over the last hundred years. And maybe the desire for being observed digitally is actually a replacement for needing that for people to be okay because they have a sense that they're not private. I know when I go to the UK and I go to London, I know that if I'm out walking on the streets, there's 10,000 photos of me. Yeah. Probably it's even more in other places. Well, there is technology right now coming out of China and other parts of the world that can identify you, who you are, and all of your details from a photograph or a video of your face, right? So as you walk through train stations, airports, on the streets, the system knows who you are and is tracking you. And so that sense of privacy is gone. And I think people have a fallacy that there's privacy in that regard. Here's another impact, technology impacting privacy, which is going to be quantum computing, mm -hmm. right? So last week I was with Chad Rigetti, who's a friend of mine, who's the CEO of Rigetti Computing, the, one of the top quantum computing companies. And we talk about that all of these encryption techniques that are out there and all these encryption techniques are based upon the inability of computers to factor large prime numbers. But quantum computing in a decade's time is going to be able to do that like child's play. So I think there's going to be an issue that sometime in the future, I don't know if it's five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, you can use a quantum computer to go back and open files that were encrypted 20 years ago that everyone thought were unopenable. So that's going to be interesting. I wonder mm -hmm. what's going to pop out of that. Yeah, well, here's the barrier. If you want to say a future, what I would call a battle line between individuals and all this technology, it has to do with thought privacy. Ah. And I'll give you an example of that. I've been going back and forth to Chicago now for more than 25 years. And before I had the trusted traveler and I have eyeball scan now and I have fingerprint scan. I used to have to go through customs and immigration, you know, and I'm coming up with brand new ideas, you know, signups for strategic coach and renewals are worth millions of dollars. And I got them in my head. They're not written down anywhere. And I come across the border and they stop me and they said, what do you have to declare? And they said, do you have alcohol? I says, no. Do you have cigarettes? No. Do you have any, you know, what are you bringing into the country? And I says, I'm really nothing, just my clothes and everything else. And they said, go ahead. But actually I'm bringing, and you do every time you cross an international border, you bring massive ideas. So I think that the ultimate battle line is they have technologies that can read your brain. And I think humans will absolutely totally fight back against that. The privacy is inside your own brain. 
Yeah, interesting. I agree with you. And one of the things I thought is a great XPRIZE would be a lie detector XPRIZE that can accurately read your brain and tell whether something is true or not. For me, it's the how do you get rid of lawyers XPRIZE? Because if you could tell a person is telling the truth, then that would change the entire legal system. So I think people can fabricate what they believe is the truth in their yeah. mind, which is what's... Which, yeah. I think we're better individually or less better individually at picking up on that with you. But, you know, I know you over a seven or eight year period. And when I'm with you, except what you're telling me, I have the foggiest idea what's going on in your brain. (laughs) (laughs) Another interesting privacy moment, like, uh aha, was this technology that can read lips. So an AI that's able to read lips, it's called LipNet. You know I'm not a sports person. I can barely tell you what the round, you know, large round balls are used for. But now that I've got two seven-year-old boys, I'll occasionally try and get them interested. So we're watching the World Series. And this year, I'm watching the World Series. And when the catcher comes up to the pitcher, I guess it's the guy who throws the ball from the middle, they're talking to each other, but they're covering their face with their mask so that you can't read their lips. Mm -hmm. And every basketball, football, baseball... All the coaches in the huddles with their players are conscious that if you're talking, there's lip readers in the audience that will, you know, interpret and give flash signs, especially pitchers and catchers. You know, that's the biggest thing in baseball is figuring out the communication with them. Yeah, I mean, humans, you know, we've been around a long time. And my sense is that (laughs) are humans trying to keep up with technology or is technology trying to keep up with humans? Well, it's both in different places in the world. I mean, one of the desperations that I think the Chinese, see, my feeling is the Chinese, with all their observation, they still feel that things are happening that are going to be unpredictable and they don't know what's happening. With all this digital technology, my sense is that humans are figuring out other ways to avoid surveillance and everything like that. And I think we're very clever that way. As a matter of fact, you know, I mean, the whole criminal organizations in the world have all sorts of ways of concealing their activities and everything else. And I believe in the digital world of the future, the percentage of the population that will be criminal will stay constant. I think that it's an important part of the world in terms of innovation as well. Yes, Right. I call it slither. You got to have 20% slither where things are <laughs> to move new ideas, new products, new services, and everything else. There has to be an area of illegality. I have to laugh. We just had a new election here in our province here in Ontario, and the guy who won was a 16-year-old pot dealer on the playgrounds 30 or 40 years ago. (laughs) I thought you were saying he was 16 now. Yeah, and I said, you know, isn't this amazing? We hired, for the first time, an entrepreneur and a visionary. (laughs) 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 We get all these lawyers and, you know, worn-out government bureaucrats. Finally, we got somebody who knows how to deliver the goods, you know. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. You get applause for me on that one. Yeah. That is very very funny. I struggle with this notion of privacy. You know, we all want it. We all want to assume it. But, you know, we're running short on time. So from my standpoint, I'll close on on this thought. I think we're heading towards a time in the near future, I think it's five years from now, that we're all going to have an AI 
software shell, like a version of Alexa, but that's on us and it's with us all the time. And I think we're going to give permission to that AI software shell to listen to every conversation we have, read every email we get, listen to our phone calls, watch what we're eating, look at our bloodstream for our micro mRNAs, because that AI software shell, again, as I call it, mm-hmm. think of it as Jarvis from Iron Man, is going to, by you being completely open with it, of eliminating your privacy to it, it's going to be able to make your life amazing and remind you of birthdays and tell you what you should or shouldn't be eating or give you just-in-time mm-hmm. information. And it's going to become a cognitive set of tools that are so addictive that you're going to openly give more and more information. Just the same way that we give information to Google every time we do a search and think nothing of it because it's just so much easier, mm-hmm. right? Well, you know, you're talking to someone who worked for the FBI for two years, so um, I've got an inside view on a lot of this stuff. Ah, yeah, we, we haven't that. talked about my FBI experience. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Oh, shit. Now I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a long time ago, a long time ago, but it's interesting being on the inside of an intelligence, investigative intelligence organization. A long time ago. but By the way, do you feel like the FBI, CIA, KGB, name your three-letter agency, do you think that they are at the leading edge of all this technology or are they being whipsawed by it? Well, you know, again, first of all, they're worried about what the enemies have. You know, I mean, the biggest concern Mm -hmm. every day is what kind of intelligence. So I think they lead sleepless nights. I think they work weekends. You know, I don't think it's an easy existence for those people. Plus, they're deputized with a crucial role and everything else. You know, it's really, really interesting because I spent two years in the Communist Party USA files, you know. And what was interesting is you realize after a while that if the FBI just stopped paying its informers who were actually attending the Communist Party USA, the Communist Party would collapse within six months from lack of funding. (laughs) (laughs) And there would be reports from six people who attended the same meeting, all of them FBI informers, but none of them knew that the other people were FBI. So you had informers informing. So there's a complexity issue with this stuff because humans have to carry out actions with it. But it's real, and it's getting probably moving to the top of consciousness as we go further into this. It's one of those issues that has been created because of exponential technology, certainly in the last quarter century. Well, buddy, as always, love spending time with you, and I thank you for this episode. I'm learning and always proud to have you as my coach, pal. Thank you much, Peter. See you shortly after your trip home from China. Yeah, we'll talk more about that when I get back. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye.